Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Chasing Heroin on this day. Thank you guys again so much for joining us. My name's Janine. I'm a recovering alcoholic addict and my sobriety date is January 15th, 2015. And I'm Kimberly Walker. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And my role on the podcast is to ask Janine and our guests questions that listeners may have and to change our listeners' views on addiction and recovery. So today's episode is special. When you guys hear this, it will be, so we're doing an, um, a special release date of this. We're going to release this on a Friday. Typically we release every other Thursday. Mm -hmm. This will be releasing on January 15th. So when you guys hear this, I will have six years mm -hmm. clean and sober, Yep. which is crazy. And so I, today I'm basically just going to tell the story of what happened in the months and weeks leading up to my last use basically. Mm -hmm. So, and I always start, so this is very similar to a lead I do at a meeting. Mm -hmm. Actually, this is typically what I say if I'm asked, if I'm invited to lead a meeting before I even get into any of the recovery stuff, it's important for me to try to express how hard it was for me to like I, I could not stop using. Mm -hmm. I could not stop yeah. drinking and using drugs. Like I, I couldn't, it was bizarre. Like I, I, I just, I couldn't stop. Mm -hmm. And in 15 years of trying, the most I'd ever gotten was I got 94 days once in that program in Oceanside mm -hmm. and I relapsed. And then I got like 60 days after that and I relapsed again. Uh, or the other way around. I don't remember which, but I relapsed twice in that program. One of those times I got 94 days and that was the most time that I had ever gotten. And the reason I share that is because when you go to a meeting and I spent way more time as this person than I did as me right now, I've told you that before. Sometimes this feels not real. Mm -hmm. It feels more real that I'm like walking around outside, like trying to get well. Um, is that when I would hear somebody like me share, I would, a lot of people at meetings say, I thought everybody was lying, blah, blah, you know, mm -hmm. I never thought anybody was lying. I believed that people had the time that they said that they had, mm -hmm. but I believed two things. One, that it wasn't going to be possible for me because it wasn't. And I was like doing everything. I was doing everything right. Like I'm kind of a nerd. I like reading the big book. Mm -hmm. I liked reading the NA basic text. I would read my stuff. Like I'm a rule follower kind of, yeah. you know, and sort of. <laughs> Unless it's like taxes or paying tickets and stuff. Yeah. But like Parking I can tickets. be. Yeah. But like I can be, you know? Right. And I found the literature interesting mm -hmm. and I would do step work and I would get a sponsor when they told me to get a sponsor and I'm intelligent and I'd go to meetings and I'd get stuff out of it. And I would use it again anyways, like every single time it was crazy. Yeah. And I never believed when I was listening to people, I believed that they had the time, but I never thought that they were as bad as I was. You oh. couldn't be because like here I was trying so hard and I just could not get it. Mm -hmm. And when I was in my twenties, I, 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 I definitely couldn't stop drinking. I didn't try that much at that point, mm -hmm. but I, I, cause like who really tries to stop drinking? You know, I, I didn't have a whole lot of consequences yet at that point. When you also didn't like, did you think you were an alcoholic? Oh no, 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 right. no, no yeah. absolutely not. And then when I started trying to stop doing Coke from the age of like 26 to 30, mm -hmm. I could not stop doing cocaine. Mm -hmm. I couldn't like horrible things would happen. I would be really, really sick. 
And three or four days later, I would use again every single time for years, mm-hmm. for years. I could not quit doing Coke with so, and lots was on the line mm-hmm. my whole life in LA. You know, I was trying to be an actress and I got my SAG card and I had like done some things and yeah. I kind of had some natural talent. I was in a relationship that mattered to me and I could not quit doing Coke to the point where I lost everything in LA and had to leave mm-hmm. on the heels of like massive embarrassment. Like there are still people in LA that probably hate me and think I'm such a loser mm-hmm. and would never believe anything that I'm saying now. You know, the the only amends I've ever made that didn't go very well was one amends I made in LA. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, and that's not usual. Normally you have some amends that people don't respond very well to you. That wasn't my experience, but there was one mm-hmm. with somebody in LA and the person wrote back and was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Fuck off. I don't really care. You ruined my life mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, um, I could not stop using left, came down here, met my ex, got introduced to heroin, went downhill. And I want to also express the progression of my using went from drinking like a regular person, but like binge drinking, but you know, you're in college, whatever it's normal. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh to coke that escalated over time to meth and heroin which mm-hmm. escalated over time and ended up with me being a homeless person for years who was a needle using drug addict that was the progression of my using over a 14 year period so for me to have six years is it's not logical mm-hmm. it's not logical it doesn't really make any sense i'm still not even really sure how it happened yeah you know, so I always like to preface my, my story with that, mm-hmm. that it was really hard and I still can't even believe, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyways, if you're listening and you're struggling, the first thing you kind of do, or that I did when I would hear somebody be like, oh, I have nine years, mm-hmm. be like, oh, you know what? Okay. Well then you weren't like me, you know, yeah. fuck you. Mm-hmm. But I was, it was bad. So anyways, um, I had been at that last program in Oceanside. I'd gotten, I'd used, they let me stay. And then I used a second time. They kicked me out and I went to a sober living and, oh, this is another part that I want to add prior to this program. Um, when I was at choices again, mm-hmm. I was in sober living and I'd gotten a job teaching, but I had relapsed and they hadn't caught me yet at the sober living. I just relapsed over the weekend, but it was like two or three days out from my relapse. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know if they would catch me on a drug test. Cause I was always trying to like finagle those numbers. Right. And I was always trying to figure out when I would pass a drug test mm-hmm. and drink lots of water and like the two, three, four day mark. Like it's, it's, it's dicey whether or not you're going to pass one. And I was in that period. So anytime you're walking back into your sober living, like you don't know if you're going to get hit with a test. And it was during that time. And I had taught a spin class in Oceanside there used to be a studio over Pure View Cafe in Oceanside. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember the name, but, and I was teaching spin and I was walking down the stairs and I'd relapse and I was scared to go home and get tested. And I remember stopping on the stairs and I can still see myself and feel what this felt like. And I felt very deep in the core of my being. I'm going to die this way. Mm-hmm. Not I'm going to die from an overdose, Yeah, but I'm going to die as an addict. I will always live as an addict, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was so scary to have that feeling come from me, Mm -hmm. not like a drug counselor or my mom or my dad being like, you have a problem, but me like deep down in my gut was like, you are an addict. You will always be an addict. This Mm -hmm. is how you live. Mm -hmm. This is who you are. And I share that because I'm sure other people have felt that way. And I was wrong. You know, I was wrong. I was, I was, I was totally wrong that I would always be that way. Yeah. 
So, okay, this is later. This is a different program. Got kicked out. I was in sober living and I was using. And I was using in the sober living and they knew, but I've told you before that I could pass a test. Mm -hmm. I have to have some awareness that I'm going to get tested, but I can pass a test. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that. Um, I was living and, and like riding a bike around and, and not working and I didn't have any money. And so I was like, I would call my friend every day and he would pick me up and we would try to get some money and try to get loaded and like all this stuff. So, so that had been going on for a few days or for a few months. And on New Year's Eve day, so this would be December 31st, 2014, that morning they woke me up to a drug test, mm -hmm. which I was prepared for. So I passed. Mm -hmm. And I know they were really frustrated because like I've shared on the show before, I'm strung out, I'm skinny, I'm not working, I'm broke, I hadn't paid rent. Like I've obviously relapsed, yeah. but I'm passing a drug test. So I passed. I left that day. I don't remember what, you know, I like, you know, I got some heroin and was looking for meth. Actually, this is a total like side story. This is ridiculous that this happened. Mm -hmm. I was also, I can't remember if I've told you this. I was looking for meth because I didn't want to just only do heroin because it was New Year's Eve mm -hmm. and I wanted it to be like a party, not like a nod out. So I was like desperately looking for meth also. And I was calling my connect, I was, who was also a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And I was like screaming at him on the phone in the garage, like how upset I was that I had heroin, but I didn't have meth. Mm -hmm. And he told me, so he knows Rachel. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, my connect, my drug dealer said, hey, Miha, you need to call Rachel. You have a problem. You need to call <laughs> your sponsor. My connect said that to me. And I was in the garage of my sober living. And I was like, ah, I don't want to say his name, but I said, your name? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Did you just say that? And he was like, I don't know what you can do right now, but you need to call Rachel. This is too much. You're too much right now. You're doing too much. Yeah. Yes. And and I it's only in retrospect. In the moment, I was just so annoyed right, right. that he would say that to me and that he knew my sponsor's name. <laughs> but he'd known her because we'd been in program together. So like he knew her. And we'd both relapsed. Mm -hmm. But I was like, my God, I'm not calling Rachel. <laughs> so, anyways, um, I can't remember if I got any or not, but I, I actually went to a, um, an NA sponsored event that mm -hmm. night. And while I was, while I was there, okay. So another friend of mine, I went to an NA sponsored event, another friend of mine, I had half of a Suboxone mm -hmm. that I wanted to kick with a friend of mine had taken a, this is crazy. This is, I had met up with a friend of mine at the transit center in Oceanside because I wanted some Suboxone and he wanted to trade me for some heroin. Mm -hmm. So he gave me a Suboxone that he had taken a bite out of. Mm -hmm. So I had three quarters of a Suboxone. It's my name and this heroin. And I was wanted to kick, but so it, it's a whole thing to kick. Mm -hmm. You have to go 24 hours without using, which means you're going to be dog sick for 24 hours. And then you can start taking the Suboxone and mm -hmm. then like however much Suboxone you have, you take for a few days. And I didn't, I couldn't kick at the sober living because they would know. Mm -hmm. So a friend of mine had gotten me a, a motel room at the motel six so that I could kick overnight. A friend of mine that was clean. The friend that got me into docks later, that, that other sober living, uh -huh. um, he lived there. So he got me a motel room so that I could kick overnight. I went to this NA event and when I got back to the sober living or when I got back to the motel room that night, mm -hmm. the owner of the sober living called me. And she said, hey, so we found some heroin, like a piece of heroin, like a chunk of heroin uh -huh. was on the sink in the bathroom in your bedroom. And, you know, we know it's yours. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I, you know, you, you can't come back. You can't live here anymore. 
and I flipped out mm -hmm. and I was like, you don't know that was mine. There are 12 women that live in that sober living. Yeah. That's circumstantial evidence. Uh -huh. you, I passed a drug test this morning. You have no way of knowing that that was my heroin. Mm -hmm. And I remember she said, you know what, Janine, you're right. You did pass a drug test this morning. You did. And I don't know what you're doing, but we're pretty sure it's yours. And I tell you what, if you can bring me a blood test <laughs> that shows that you're clean, you can come back and I'll support you. Mm-hmm. And nobody's ever asked me for that before. Yeah. And I was like, and I paused for a moment and I was like, fine, I'll go get one tomorrow. Uh -huh. I'll bring it back. Fine. And she was like, okay, if you bring me one. And this woman had like 20 years of sobriety. She said, if you bring me one, that's fine. I'll support you coming back to the house. Mm -hmm. And so we get off the phone and I'm sitting there in the motel six room with my friend. And I'm like, okay, all right. Okay. I can do this. I can forge a blood test. It can't be that hard. Give me your phone. I need, I didn't have a phone or I didn't have a smartphone. I had a flip phone. Yeah. And I was like, give me your phone. I need to Google the logo for Tri City mm -hmm. and get the logo. We'll go to Kinko's. I just need to Google what it looks like, what a blood test would look like. We'll just photocopy it. I'll stick and I'll put it all together and I'll copy and paste it. Yeah. And I'm a tweaker and I can make a fake blood test. And while I'm going on and on and on about this. So my friend that had got me the motel room, is a is has been a good friend of mine for a long time we used together mm -hmm. uh he's the one that got raided and went to prison and when he got out my ex and i went to his hotel room mm -hmm. um it's that person so he'd been clean this whole time so in in this moment he's got like i don't know three years or something and i was still like my crazy self but he would always help me you know yeah. he would like help me and he backed me up kind of no matter what crazy shit i was saying he always backed me up mm -hmm. And I'm going on and on and on about faking this blood test. And I remember looking at him and he was just staring at me, like not backing me up. Yeah. Just kind of silently, like, and there was this look on his face that was like, come on. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I said, okay, you know what? No, don't give me this shit. I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. She's, I don't want to fake a blood test. Yeah. She's forcing me to fake this drug test. <laughs> yeah. She's forcing me to fake this drug test because look at, I'm trying to get clean. I have a half a Suboxone. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be loaded anymore. I want to do this, but I can't kick at the house. And now she knows, like, I don't want to be doing this. She's, what am I supposed to do? I can't kick on the street. Mm -hmm. What am I supposed to do? And I remember he said, well, I mean, you could get clean. Yeah. And I just kind of like stopped for a second. Like all of my craziness. Yeah. And thought like, well, yeah, I guess I could just do that. Right. You know? And, um, in the moment, though, that's not what I said. In the moment, I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I guess. And he kind of laughed and I kind of laughed. And um, I didn't pursue the road of faking the drug test. And I still had dope on me. Yeah. Um, he didn't stay with me. He left. And I stayed in the room overnight. And he came back the next morning and said, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Mm -hmm. And I called my, you know, when you're using, you have like a bunch of different connects everywhere. So this is a different guy that called me, that told me to call my sponsor. This is a different guy. Mm -hmm. And I called him and I said, 
you know, like I need something and I, you know, but I don't have anywhere to go. And I don't remember how this conversation came up, but he said, well, you can, I have a place for you to stay. Mm-hmm. And I said, where? Cause he was like married. And he said, you can kick it in my doghouse in my backyard. You can stay in the doghouse in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And I went, great. Yeah. I'm on my way. Really? Can mm-hmm. I stay there? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, uh-huh. it's like a shed. And I was like, done. I'll come live in your doghouse. Mm-hmm. So my buddy did not want to take me there, but he did. Mm-hmm. He drove me to the alley, <laughs> the guy in this guy's house, and dropped me off. The guy let me in the back fence, and it was a shed that his dog just kind of would, like, run in and out of. So mm-hmm. there was, like, a dog mat on the floor, and it was – you could almost stand up straight in it. It was, like, a corrugated tin roof little shed thing in mm-hmm. the backyard for his dog, and it had a door that would shut. So he let me stay there. I had a bag with some stuff and I stayed in the doghouse in his backyard mm-hmm. for three days. And um, he allowed me to stay there. He would just like bring me meth and bring me heroin mm-hmm. because I could hit him in his armpit because mm-hmm. he hadn't been able to find a vein in a really long time. But he would let me hit him in his armpit. And that's when you're a longtime junkie, that's like super valuable if somebody can hit you and mm-hmm. you can't hit yourself anymore. So I stayed there for a few nights. And the second night, I think it was, that I was there. Oh, and he would padlock the door at night mm-hmm. from the outside. So I was locked in at night because he had let somebody else stay there once. Mm-hmm. And his wife had found out. And chased the girl down the street with a running chainsaw. Holy cow. So to not get murdered yeah. by a chainsaw. And it, he told me this. And he was like, oh, so-and-so is crazy. You know how she is. Blah, 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 blah. I got to lock you in. She tried to kill this girl with a chainsaw. And I was like, yeah, lock the door. So I don't want to get murdered by a chainsaw. But so your plan is to, to be in there and kick. No. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, just no. To I was, stay. Just to use. Got it. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, to stay and use. Because you no, were kicked out I of I wasn't going to kick in the shed. Yeah, because I was kicked out of the sober living. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a plan beyond, like, where am I going to get loaded that day? I had no plan. And I know, like, now that probably seems crazy because, like, I always have a plan, right? Humans, adults have plans. And I did not have one. Um, I was just going to stay in the shed. And the only thing I cared about was, like, getting loaded for the next few days mm-hmm. or for however long. So he was bringing me heroin. He was bringing me meth. And I was just like, you know, shooting up in the shed, hanging out with him, smoking cigarettes in the back for days. And the second night, he un- I heard him at like, I don't know what time it was in the morning, like two or three in the morning, maybe. I was awake, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I would do San Diego reader crossword puzzles mm-hmm. that you could get from like outside 7-Eleven for mm-hmm. free. And I would do these crossword puzzles sort of as a way to stay connected to my brain. Yeah. Because one thing that I always felt separated me from all the other people using was that I never stopped believing that I was intelligent. Mm-hmm. And I think in the end that saved my life. And that is a benefit of my mom. Mm-hmm. My mom, since as young as I can remember, has told me, she still tells me to this day, you're brilliant. You're the, you're the smartest one in our family. You're going to do so much. You know, like both of my parents have reinforced to me my intelligence my whole life above all things. And so I think while I was using, I at least never felt like dumb. I never felt incapable. I felt like an addict who couldn't stop using, but I knew that I was smarter than anybody I was around all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the ways I stayed connected to that would also, it's a tweakery thing to do crossword puzzles. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not, you know, be fair. Like you said, it's not that you thought these other people 
were dumb, but maybe they forgot some of them that they had intelligence. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm -hmm. I also think that, yeah, not that they were unintelligent. Right. But I always knew, I don't know, I felt like my intelligence had not left me. Yeah. You know, I believed I was still smart. And I'm actually lucky it didn't leave me. Steve at the Sober Living used to tell me that all the time. Mm -hmm. He was like, after everything I've seen you do, that you can sit here and have this conversation with me, like you're blessed. Mm -hmm. You know, your mind should have been shot with all the. I mean, when you shoot meth consistently for a long time, like Amy was saying, Mm -hmm. she has seizures and cognitive brain, you know, function, you know, failures. And I don't have any of that stuff that I'm aware of yet. Yeah. You know, that has cropped up yet. So I'm sitting there doing a crossword puzzle and the door opens and my friend let some guy in. Oh my gosh. In the middle of the night Mm -hmm. and locked the door behind him. And I looked up and this guy's like covered in tattoos. And he was like, Hey girl, what's up? Can I sit with you? And I said, no. I was sitting on the little like dog bed mm-hmm. with my legs out in front of me and there's a little folding chair in the shed and fit like the chair. He actually had a few tools like nailed on the mm-hmm. walls. I don't know there. He was actually building anything, but like some tools up and he sat on the chair next to me and he was like, Hey, can I sit down with you? And I was like, no. Mm-hmm. And I just turned back to my crossword puzzle and I was just mostly really annoyed because they didn't know why this guy was in there with me. Yeah. And he was trying to talk to me and I think we like shared a pipe or something. I don't remember. And he was kind of trying to talk and I just completely ignored him mm-hmm. and was facing the other way. And he got on his phone and I glanced up at one point, he was like playing games on his phone and just kind of like looking at me from time to time. And after, I don't know how long, a while, mm-hmm. my friend came back, unlocked the door, opened the door, the guy left and he relocked it. And I heard them like talking outside mm-hmm. and that was that. And I, I share that because I realize now I don't know if I was supposed to like sleep with that guy for being in there. Like, I don't really know. It didn't cross my mind at the time. I was Mm -hmm. just like, why is this guy in here? And while I was sitting there, not necessarily while the guy was there, but over the course of these couple of nights, it was freezing. It was January Mm -hmm. and I was outside in the shed and I was freezing. And I remember thinking like, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. And my getting out of my using is a series of miracles that cannot be attributed to me. Mm. Truly. Mm -hmm. And this is when they began. One of them was, so I had my flip phone. My mom got to a point where she would pay for a phone because she couldn't take not knowing where I was. Mm -hmm. So they did the tough love for the most part. But she did pay for a cell phone the last year because when I was homeless and she didn't know where I was, you know, she would lose her mind. And I remember her telling my dad that once. She was like, I don't do it for her. I do it for me. I can't live Mm -hmm. at night not knowing, like, she's just out there in the world. Because we'd had a few moments when I was homeless before where I called her from, like, someone's phone. And then if she didn't answer, I would, like, ride away on my bike. Mm -hmm. And she told me she called this guy back once. He had just, like, seen me outside the gas station. And he was like, was that your daughter? She's not doing too good. And my mom was like, oh, where is she? And the guy was like, I don't know. She like took off on a bike, you know, and my mom was, and she said it was like one of the worst moments of her life. So she was paying for this phone. So I had a flip phone and out of nowhere. So I had this friend, he, I had lived with an Oceanside and he's a Marine. He's retired now, but he's in the Marine Corps. And I, he was my roommate over the years 
when I first moved to Oceanside, he was my roommate. And then he went away to Afghanistan. He came back. We lived together again. We just, we, we lived together very well. We got along really well. And he really cared about me. When I started using, when he came back from Afghanistan, he didn't know this, but I was strung out on heroin mm-hmm. and moved in with him. I lived with him for like three or four months before he figured out what was going on and he kicked me out. And, but we stayed connected over the years. Like he went back to Afghanistan because um, he was uh, infantry. Mm-hmm. So he went overseas a bunch. I mean, he did like five tours or something in Iraq and Afghanistan. And every time he came back, he reached out to me and I was usually in a rehab by then. And he was always like hoping the best for me, wanting the best for me. He would like bring me cigarettes to rehab when I was at that one in Oceanside. Mm-hmm. We like met once for my birthday. Like we were just friends. And he called me out of nowhere one of these mornings, the last morning that I was there. And we hadn't spoken in a little while. And I answered and he said, and he was stationed at 29 Palms. He, mm-hmm. he was back. And he called me and was like, hey, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, dude, if you're willing, like, I need you to come get me. Yeah. And I've stolen from him before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. And he said, where are you? And I was like, I am living in someone's doghouse mm-hmm. in Oceanside. And he was like, oh, my God, I'm coming right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, there's there's a Burger King. You know, there's, and they told, like, told him where it was. And he was like, all right, I'm on my way. You better be there. You can be there. Do you promise? Mm-hmm. And I said, I promise I will be there. And this is, again, this is when all of the weird little things start happening. The odds of me showing up for that, because I have limitless dope staying there. Mm-hmm. That wasn't going to run out. And my primary concern as I was moving around the world as an addict was just, like, running out of heroin. And I had limitless. Like, the guy was going to continue to supply me. And I really got so lucky in so many ways. And one of the ways is I was never really compromised as a female, as a girl. And I don't really know why. But, like, the guy didn't expect anything from me. So, I mean, I guess the one weird thing happened with the, that one guy. But yeah. to this day, I don't know what that was about, mm-hmm. really. But it was just limitless dope that was going to be, you know. And... um but my friend said, you're going to be there. And I said, I'm going to be there. And so I packed my little bag and my buddy came out and he was like, where are you going? He didn't want to let me out the back gate. Mm. And I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go meet my mom. She's giving me money. And I remember he said, why are you bringing your bag? Mm-hmm. And I said, cause I'm not bringing, leaving my bag with you fools. Like I made a joke and I was like, somebody's going to steal my shit. And he started laughing and he was like, all right, you'll be right back though. Right. Mm. And I don't know why he was vested in me coming back, but we, again, like it's weird. You do have friends in the using world. Like when you get into treatment, people, counselors are like they're not your friends they want you to die but like that's not entirely true mm-hmm. like I have a lot of guys out there that were my friends that I used with that kind of looked out for me he was one of them mm-hmm. you know so anyways he didn't really want me to leave but I did I got out and I walked through this little alley and I went to the Burger King and I called my mom and she was on her way to church and I told her what was going on um and I said can you come by um can you come see me and I wanted money mm-hmm. And so she stopped by on the way to church and she wouldn't give me any money, which I was really annoyed about. Mm-hmm. She gave me a cliff bar and some <laughs> vitamin C and that was it. Mm-hmm. And she left me at that Burger King, you know, and she's told me later again, I know we keep saying this, we need to have her on. She didn't think that I would get 
because I wasn't doing anything right. I wasn't going into treatment. Right. I was just going to my friend's house who's not in recovery mm-hmm. and who drinks a lot, actually. Yeah. And so she was like, whatever. She does know him, though. My fam- my parents have known him for years. Yeah. And she was like, I know she's at least safe, you know, at his house. She knows him. So she left me at the Burger King. My mom left me at the Burger King mm-hmm. and said, good luck, honey. I hope you – I could tell she didn't believe – that anything was different because it didn't seem different it was just a day and I was I was using that day yeah I wonder too like I do really want to have your mom on that idea of like is there this sigh of relief she called me she's alive right but also that getting your hope up or not even that it's just like here's what I can do for you and that's it and that's I had to be where she was Mm -hmm. that had to be where she was I'm sure she was relieved that that my friend in particular was coming to get me my like I said my parents knew him Mm -hmm. He had saved me at other times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think she was probably comforted that that's where I was going at least. Mm-hmm. So he came and got me. He came and got me. It took him an hour and a half to drive from 29 Palms. And he picked me up at the Burger King. And I brought a little dope with me, mm-hmm. which is why my date isn't until the 15th. Because what day are we at right now? This was January 4th. 2015 it was a sunday morning so i'd been in that shed the first the second the third so she leaves i waited for him in the parking lot of the burger king and he came he showed up and he picked me up then he brought me out to his house and i had brought some dope with me mm-hmm. and it got me through a few days i ran out on the fifth mm-hmm. and i remember that so my 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 clean date from heroin is actually january 5th mm-hmm. So that was when I ran out and I mean, this guy saved my life. Yeah. So somebody recommended that I watch game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm weird about game of Thrones. I think game of Thrones. Okay. This is like, <laughs> I'm going to like nerd out on this for a second game of Thrones. And when it releases has, has, shown a change in my life that's unbelievable okay so for the first time so seasons one through four were out Mm -hmm. so i was at his house he just ran a fireplace constantly because you're cold when you're yeah uh he ran a fireplace constantly brought me cigarettes every single day brought me jolly ranchers and candy and sugar cooked Mm -hmm. me food every single night and i just laid on the couch and watched game of thrones so the that was when i and i caught it through season like three or four Mm -hmm. the next season that was released i was living in sober living and was getting like rides to that house to watch it at, at somebody else's sober living. The following year I had my own car mm-hmm. and I went and watched them at Robin's house, mm-hmm. which is totally different because I had a friend that had TV and HBO and I had my own car and I would drive myself there. Mm-hmm. The following year I watched it at my own house and people came to my house to watch it. Yeah. The following year I was engaged and then the next year it was on my honeymoon Really? Yes. Uh-huh. Is that crazy? Yeah. And now there was like multiple years in there, right? Because mm-hmm. they didn't release every single season. Is that crazy though? So every time I sat down to watch an episode of Game of Thrones, I was like, my life is significantly better every time this thing airs. Yeah. It's so weird. So anyways, I kicked on his couch and yeah, watched Game of Thrones and smoked cigarettes and talked to him and had absolutely no idea what I was going to do when I got back, I had gotten kicked out of the sober living and I was so sick and I was in so much pain. This is when I was saying that prayer 
every day in every way I'm getting better, getting better. Although my mom actually texted me after she listened to that episode, uh -huh. there's more to that prayer that I forgot. This is the prayer. She said, Hey, sweetie, I just listened to your latest podcast. So, so good. At the end where you talk about the prayer, I told you it had a beginning part. Thank you, God, that with your help every day and every way I'm getting better. I only remember the every day and every way I'm getting better. Yeah. Kim's crying. <laughs> and I was so sick and I wanted to, are you crying? Cause it's my mom that texted me. What's what about that made you I cry? So anyways, I told myself that I at least wanted to go get his mail cause he was going to work during the day uh -huh. and I literally could barely get to the mailbox. I was so sick. And so I would walk and his driveway was not that long. <laughs> and I would like, like one foot at a time, push my feet forward, like crying, saying that prayer, just like get his mail, get it, bring it back. And on like day four or five, he walked in and I was like, I got your mail. Uh -huh. And he just started laughing. Cause like, he's, you know, he's my friend and he was like, good. I'm glad you were able to get my mail. Yeah. Although it's kind of funny. Like later when I started teaching, uh -huh. I told him I got a job teaching and he was like, how are you teaching? And I was like, what do you mean? How am I teaching? He thought that I was going to be like that permanently. Wow. He was like, I thought that was just like your permanent state now. And I was like, no, that's when you're kicking. You don't live that way. I'd kill myself trying to live that way. Right. And he was like, I thought that's how you were going to be forever. And I was like, no, thank God. The human body is resilient and amazing. And I don't live that way anymore. So anyways, I had no idea what I was going to do when I got back. Um, and I drank through the 15th because I was really, really sick. I ate my one quarter of a Suboxone that I had. Mm -hmm. And then when that was gone, I was full kick, full sick. So I just was like whiskey to the don't like upside down in this kitchen drinking until I would pass out. And one of the days texted a friend of mine mm -hmm. who had just gotten an unemployment check and was going to drive to 29 Palms and get me mm -hmm. the one that told me to call my sponsor him. Mm -hmm. He was going to come get me and I was done. I was not going to be sick anymore. And Maybe somehow, you were gonna use, oh you yeah, were gonna get uh -huh. oh yeah. Like I was like going through my friend's trash, looking for the baggies I had thrown away because I brought a little bit with me and I'd right. thrown it all away. When you use you, you use a cotton to pull up the drug to pull up the mm -hmm. dope into the needle, and you can add water to a cotton later and use it again. And I was like in his trash can, like going through tissues and orange pills, looking for the cottons to try to soak in water to get loaded again because mm -hmm. I was pretty sick and I'd broken all my needles and I was trying to like tape them back together. Yeah. And this is when he was at work. And by the time he'd get home from work, I'd just be like sitting on the couch, like having time. Mm -hmm. But there was days of that. And one of the days it was bad enough that I reached out to my friend and he was going to come get me. And he texted me what the address was and I passed out. And when I woke up, like hours had gone by and I hadn't ever answered him. And he had sent me a couple like question marks, like what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, but I had passed out and I hadn't answered him. And when I woke up, I had changed my mind. Also a miracle, not something normally that would have happened. So the 15th, I quit drinking and I had asked my friend that had gotten me in the motel room to see if I could come back and live at docks, mm -hmm. Steve, my friend, Steve, that I talk about. And he had said, no. And then like a week later, so I had nowhere to even live and come back to. Yeah. And my mom was trying to convince me to just stay in 29 Palms with my friend. And she was like, would he let you live there? You could get a job. She was like looking on Craigslist. She was like, there are places hiring part time. Like, why don't you just stay there? And I didn't want to do that. Again, that shouldn't have worked either. Mm -hmm. I should have stayed. That, that would have probably worked. Nothing about my plan was what you should do treatment wise. Yeah. And, but I didn't want to stay there. 
And so eventually my buddy got back to me. Steve did decide to let me move into docs just for like five days. And they were going to test me every day. And cause I had lived at docs now three other times and gotten kicked out three separate times for using and selling heroin from the sober living mm-hmm. the last time or one of the times that I had lived there, which you obviously can't do. Right. It's one of like the biggest no nos in sober living. Like it's one thing to use, but it's another thing to like hold dope there and sell it to people. Yeah. You know, but he was gonna let me come back. So I asked my buddy to bring me back to Vista and he did. I came back, I was still kind of sick. And this is the other thing that I had done that was different. That again was like a miracle that I didn't normally do. I used to always go, y'all have heard me say, I would get online and look at teaching jobs Mm -hmm. and like apply to them when I was using. And I had applied to one in Encinitas. Mm -hmm. This is crazy to think about. Yeah. And, uh, the girl got back to me <laughs> and said, yes, I'd love to audition you. Mm-hmm. So we had set up an audition in December before New Year's Eve. And I was loaded that day and couldn't get down yeah. here to where Kim and I are sitting right now recording. Yeah. I couldn't get here. And what I normally would do, cause that happened all the time. I would never follow up on those things, mm-hmm. but and I don't, again, this is beyond me. This is the part that, and I and I want to emphasize this so much, and I don't know where people are spiritually, but I'm telling you, God, higher power, whatever, interceded at this moment. I never followed up with these people. Out of like never. embarrassment or- I didn't care. It was the day of, loss, who cares? Yeah. I wasn't going to go. Embarrassment yeah. mainly, yes. Yeah. I was ashamed. Mm-hmm. I texted- the owner mm-hmm. of the studio, which I had never done. And I said, Hey, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to be there today at noon. And I made up this lie and I'm not going to be able to be there. And the owner got back to me and she was like, no problem. Mm-hmm. Thanks. And, um, but I actually did that, which I'd never normally done. So I'm back in Vista. I have however many days off heroin, not many. And I thought, and I needed a job because he was going to let me stay on the couch for $300 a month. Mm-hmm. And I had zero money. I, I didn't have a checking account. I wasn't able to get a checking account for a long time. But I didn't have a checking account or anything, nothing. And I had a food stamp card. And um, and I think my friend must have given me like 20 bucks or something. And then they have food at the sober living. Like a food bank drops off food. Yeah. So I could eat there. And... I, I thought, I wonder if that, I wonder if that girl would still meet with me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I emailed her and she did. She was pretty good about that kind of thing. Yeah. So I got a ride down here to the studio where Kim and I sit right now. And I had spin shoes and like a Vons bag. Cause my mom had kept my spin shoes. She would like leave them at her house. And she had an old iPod. I still have it. It's like a purple iPod. The one that doesn't go like on the, it won't go online or anything like one of the old ones. Yeah. And I had taught briefly like the year before. So I had like a mix on there and I brought my iPod and my shoes and my bonds back. And I auditioned here. I taught a few songs 
And, and I remember they, we do heart rate monitor training here at the studio and they put a heart rate monitor on me. And I was like, oh my God, this thing is going to show that I'm having a heart attack because I was shooting meth recently and these two fitness people yeah. are wearing theirs, you know? Um, but it was fine, obviously. So I taught to a few songs and then I taught some bar and they said, yeah, you're hired. Can you start like next Saturday? And they put me on a primetime spot and the class started selling out in like two or three weeks, mm -hmm. which they actually hadn't had happen yet at the studio. And they just started giving me more and more classes. And I eventually have like 16 classes a week on the studio here. And the studio became my life. And that's a huge part of my sobriety. Yeah. And I was thinking, I was actually listening to another reco recovery podcast recently. And they were talking about having a purpose. And I'd taught before in recovery. I wondered before what the difference was between me teaching here and at the other places. And I think because this studio wasn't established, it was the perfect place for me to become. And this, again, that's a miracle. I've taught before. Mm -hmm. why, why would this, you know, they were, I don't talk often about the previous owners, but I will say this. I was the perfect person to come in at that moment for them. Mm -hmm. And they were the perfect people for me to work for at that moment. And that is true. Mm -hmm. And the way that the place was at that time and the clientele that we had and that we have saved my life. And from the first few classes, women were pulling me aside, telling me how much they loved my class and it was packing out mm -hmm. and it gave me purpose immediately. Yeah. And that's that. And that's what happened in the last few days of my using. Yeah. Yeah. That's the work side of things, the recovery side of things. But I had always done this. I'd always done this. So I was going to meetings right away, daily. Mm -hmm. There were some in Vista that I could walk to. That week or the next week is when y'all have heard me tell the story about Steve asked me to be the secretary of that Monday night meeting. That was then. Mm -hmm. Rachel had always been my sponsor. And I'd been talking to her when I was out at 29 Palms too. I'd been talking to her the whole time. Mm -hmm. We got back doing, you know, I picked up my, doing my step work again, which I always did. All of those things I had always done, except for the commitment that was new. Mm -hmm. And I also had two friends in early recovery I was seeing somebody and mm -hmm. his friend, the three of us went to meetings all the time because his friend had a car and that was pretty vital too. And they say, don't date people in early recovery, whatever. For me, it worked because he was not, not my husband now, but mm -hmm. he was really committed to his recovery at the time. And it helped me. Yeah. It actually did help me in that moment and lived in the sober living and for the first time in my life did it and now you know here we sit what happened when you passed that was it 92 or 94 days this time how did i get there or how did i feel how did you feel i felt i was like so i literally it was so weird i remember telling my dad this i would i was like if i let when i was like stepping outside this is a weird feeling. I literally felt like something was like going to fall from the sky. Mm -hmm. Like this couldn't be real. I was like, how do I have four months? Mm -hmm. This cannot be real. How do I have five months? This cannot be 
this can't be real. Right. I, I thought something was going to fall from the sky on top of me. That was the feeling that I had. Isn't that weird? <laughs> like when I would leave the studio, mm-hmm. I'd like look up. So you started teaching here how many, less than a month clean? Oh, less than a month. Yeah. I had yeah. like 19 days. Yeah. Something like that. That's pretty crazy. Isn't that insane? I was sick the first day. You weren't here yet. I think you joined later. Yeah. Um, but between the spin and the bar class, I like went in the back and threw up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was still kicking heroin the first time that I taught here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. What about when you hit a year? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. A friend of mine hosted a sit-in for me at their house because I was still living in sober living at that time. I chose to stay in sober living for a year. And so you have a sit-in that leads up until midnight. Mm-hmm. And I just sobbed. So people go around the room and say something about you. Steve was there and when it got to me to talk, I was like half sobbing, half crying. And what I said was I was looking at the token and I was like, man, it didn't look good. It didn't look good. And I was like half sobbing, half crying. Yeah. And the people were all like laughing, crying because that was a group from Narcotics Anonymous actually that had set up the set in for me. Mm-hmm. And those people had seen me go in and out and in and out and in and out for years, never doing it, always lying. Mm-hmm. That year was pretty amazing. I couldn't believe I had a year. And then Tommy gave me a year at the step house mm-hmm. also at an AJ meeting. Yeah. Cause in that episode a couple weeks ago, it was like the year prior to deciding at that point, you and your ex had decided, let's not right. stop. Right. Do you feel like it was a series of events that started to change your mind? Or was there like a turning point where you started to go, mm, maybe I do? Like, was it when you walked down those steps and you're like, I'm going to die like this? No, because that was before he and I decided to just uh, go balls to the law. Mm-hmm. That moment was before then. And, and that moment led to this is who you are. Yeah. Yeah, that was part of that. It was probably a, uh, it was a long time of things being really, really, really bad, right? Mm-hmm. The rock bottom took a long time. Yeah. There was a moment though. This is definitely going to make me cry. This is definitely going to make you cry. There was a moment though where I did make sort of an internal decision that stays with me now, which is, so what I would do is I would get kicked out of the sober living and before I, or kicked out of rehab, before I called my mom, I would get set up somewhere mm-hmm. so that I could at least tell her, look, um, I messed up again, but I'm already at this sober living. It seems like a really nice one. The girls seem really nice. I'm already here. Like I, I didn't call her with, I'm out. I need your help. Like mm-hmm. I at least tried to soften the blow by getting myself set up somewhere first. Mm-hmm. So I'd gotten kicked out of the program in Oceanside. I was living at the the sober living in, in Vista where the, the last one that I was at, you know, mm-hmm. when she asked me for the blood test. So this was like a few weeks prior to that. I'd gotten kicked out. I'd called my mom. She'd come to pick me up. We'd gone to lunch. And I was using mm-hmm. at that time. I was already using. I think I was strung out, meaning sick if I don't use. And she dropped me off at the sober living And she would always say the same thing. Mm-hmm. She'd go, okay, 
we just figure out what you did wrong. We start over. Yeah. And she would be like really like cheerful about it. Yeah. And she did it again. And we were in this sober living driveway and she was dropping me off. And, um, and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry, whatever. And she said, it's okay. It's okay. We just, you know, Janine, we figure out what you did wrong. We start over, you know? And she was like, you have more good days than bad days. Right. And I was fully strung out at that point. And I remember saying, yeah, mom, I got more good days and bad days. And she was like, okay, we just start over. And I got out of the car and she was driving away. And I remember thinking, I will not, I will not make that woman say that even one more time. Yeah. I won't, I will not sit with her in a car and watch her muster up every bit of courage that she has to say one more time, Jean, one more time. Yeah. I won't, I won't encourage you it again. I won't. And, and I did, I did think that at that time. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I had felt bad about upsetting my parents before. And so like, I'm hesitant to say that that one time of feeling that way changed anything because I had certainly felt that way before. Yeah. But that happened leading up to that. And then what my friend said when he said, you know, you could get clean. Yeah. I did realize in that moment, and, and that's kind of the moment that I want to focus on with today's episode is the power in that statement. Another thing I thought too, in line with thinking of my parents, and I don't know when this started to occur to me. This actually occurred to me at that rehab. So my dad's a pilot. He's retired now. He's a pilot. And he's a very friendly guy. Kim's laughing at me because I talk about my dad all the time. Um, he's a friendly guy, right? So I know that when he flies, he walks in the cockpit. He's the captain, right? He's the guy. Mm -hmm. He's in charge. Everybody goes, hey, how you doing? You know, it's these guys with mustaches, like Sully, who, yeah. you know, the, that's the guy. That's the pilot. They're all the same guy. And, hey, how you doing? Oh, I live in Atlanta with my wife. Well, you know, they talk. And I thought, you know what I'm not going to make him say? I am not going to make him say when somebody says, oh, do you have any kids? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have one. Yeah. I have a son. I'm not going to make him say that. Yeah. I'm not. And again, there's this idea of not getting clean for somebody else and you can't. However, I will say that both of those thoughts stay with me now. Mm -hmm. I won't make him say that. And we were on that path and I won't make him say that, you know, like, can you imagine my, you know, my poor father? Yeah. Uh -huh, I have one. I got a son. And then in his mind goes, I used to have two. She died of a heroin. Of like, no, I'm not making him say that, you know? Um, but yeah, so I don't know if that really fully answered your question. I, I, you know, it was a long rock bottom. And, but what, what really struck me was what my friend said about, well, you could, you know, you could get clean. So we like to kind of put a nice bow on things. 
what do you feel like you learned from this specific incident, even though, yes, it was the start of these last six years, what's something that you look back and you are grateful for, or you learned from? I'm grateful that that lady asked for a blood test. I didn't see that coming. Mm -hmm. Somebody tricked me. And I thought that I couldn't be tricked, right? Like every addict thinks that they can't be tricked. Every addict thinks they're the trickiest person in the room. Mm -hmm. And I was floored. So if you're listening to this and you're a sober house manager, hit them with a blood test. <laughs> Although they could do what I tried to do. But but like how ridiculous is that? P.S. Just as an aside, I didn't even have a phone to Google the logo. I was like, give me your phone. I don't know what the Tri-City logo looks like. That's a hospital near here. Um, but my friend's comment to me when he just looked me dead in the eyes and said, when I was like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I have to do all this crazy shit. I have to run around and go to Kinko's and forge this. And he said, I mean, you could get clean. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the struggle of so many addicts. And that's been my struggle. The realization that or the idea that playing by the rules isn't the hard way it's the easy way and like this is how i can see my addict tendencies from way back like when i dropped out of college to be an actress in hollywood mm -hmm. okay i did that because i didn't want to like do homework mm -hmm. like i didn't want to do homework for a few years and study so i moved cross country with nothing to try to break into the hardest industry in the entire world like that seemed easier mm -hmm. than just reading nightly mm -hmm. that's crazy that is not easier that is me getting out of something that I didn't want to do in the moment that everybody else does all the time. Mm -hmm. And Kim and I were talking about this off air before the show. I guess it all worked out. Obviously, you know, I'm in California. I met Skylar, mm -hmm. you know, having Skylar in my life is, you know, the highlight of my life so far. So anybody, anything that brought me to meet him, I, I can't take back or wouldn't take back. Mm -hmm. But it probably would have been easier and nicer for me in the long run to like have a degree. I have a little bit of embarrassment behind it that I didn't finish. Mm -hmm. Not paying parking tickets, not paying taxes. Like, Oh my God. Okay. So I didn't pay taxes for a long time. So when I started working here and saving money, I thought the IRS can like seize your accounts at any time. Mm -hmm. So I had like envelopes of cash in my house because I couldn't have a savings account because I couldn't have in case the IRS took my money. Mm -hmm. And in fact, actually, even when I bought my wedding dress, I bought like $2,000 cash down with me. Mm -hmm. And the girls I went with were like, what are you doing? Why do you have that? I'm like, because I'm an idiot who didn't pay taxes. And it's mm -hmm. like that, that's a mentality that a lot of addicts have, you know, like you think you're avoiding something hard, but it's, it, it's so it's the easier road in the long run. Mm -hmm. And I try to implement that now. Yeah. You know, I try, I'm not always great at that. But I think the, the main takeaway from my story is that nothing about my story makes any sense if you are going by the logic of quote unquote man, like, mm -hmm. the, like the world in its material form, in its secular form. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have a checking account when I started working here. Five years later, I owned it. So my credit score was as low as it can be. Mm -hmm. uh, who's, wasn't there somebody once that, oh, Brad, somebody was like, your credit score is 395. And he was like, that's high. Is that good? <laughs> and the guy was like, that is the worst thing possible. That was me. Whatever's like lowest than you could find, that was me. And starting here, turned 35 with 90 days sober, living on a couch mm -hmm. in a sober living. 
nothing that ended up happening should have worked out in terms of getting married, owning the studio, like even my car, I didn't have a driver's license or a car. And I remember, I think I've shared this on, on the show before Mm -hmm. I went to go look at a car and I only had a thousand dollars saved and it had taken me six months to get that. And I was nowhere near being able to buy a car and I was so down. And I, you know, I called my dad and he was like, I just need you to like, hang on for a little bit longer. And I did. And a few months later, somebody gave me a car. Mm -hmm. So at seven months I had a car that doesn't make any sense. I didn't have the money to buy that. That doesn't make any sense. And then at year three, I moved into my own place. Again, it was a gift from somebody in recovery that I was allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make any sense either. And I think sometimes when you start your road to sobriety, no matter what age you are, you feel like you've lost so much time and you start doing the math in your head. Mm -hmm. And you're like, dude, I know that this is going to take me too long. It doesn't even feel worth it. I'm already this age. I've lost this much time. And so one of my primary messages when I lead and when I speak about giving hope is that you don't know, like time no longer and achievements no longer are running on a linear scale. Once you're walking your path of purpose. And I think walking in a life of sobriety and giving back to others in recovery, that's why I'm doing this. It's hard for me to say all this. I don't know who's going to hear this. I don't really want people I knew in high school to know I was in a doghouse in the end, you know, but like, listen, the reason I'm sharing it is so that somebody else may gain from this. And I believe that because I keep sharing, that's why I keep giving. That's why I keep getting back. So that's that's one of the main things that I think is just like a general takeaway from my story mm-hmm. is that timelines don't matter anymore. And what we think when we do the math is going to work out, I was so wrong. And I need that now. Mm-hmm. I need to know that now. Because I'm doing the math on the studio and right. coronavirus. You see me. Kim sees me. Kim sees me on Monday mornings when we record spend and I'm low because I'm scared. But nothing has played out the way that I thought that it would in a good way. When I've done the math on things. Yeah. I met this, you know, I know I talk about my husband a lot. I don't want to sound like He's a gem of a, a psycho. Human. He's a gem of a human being. I saw it to Jean once a week. What's yeah. No, everybody tells me that. You know, I never thought I'd marry a guy like that in my life. I never thought I'd even meet a guy like that in my life. I See, but I feel like of course you would. Why do you think that? Because you're amazing. It's crying. <laughs> Thank you for doing the show with me and allowing me to do so while we're crying, it's probably a great time. Kim has a card that she wants to read to me on air. Yep. Great. Can you read it? <laughs> All right. I'll try to do it without crying. Okay. It's the 15th, right? Yes. Friday. <laughs> I put. I left a little blank because I, I, I asked Janine every year, is it the 13th, 14th, or 15th? Well, because my birthday is on the 14th, which right. you mix up sometimes. And your anniversary is the 9th? 10th. 10th. See? There's, they're all too <laughs> – anyway – I left a blank and then I forgot. <laughs> See now that I didn't write it. It's okay. That's I'm why I asked. You. So, Janine, January 15th marks six years of sobriety for you. You've worked so hard every single day to accomplish this. And I hope you're able to take a few minutes for yourself on that day and feel how strong and dedicated you are to your recovery. Over the past few years, you have gone from being my spin instructor to one of my closest friends. I'm incredibly grateful to have been a part of your life and to be a part of your life. You bring so much love and light 
not only to people struggling with addiction, but to everyone who is lucky enough to come across your path. Thank you for being so supportive of my struggles, for pushing me out of my comfort zone, and allowing me to join you on this podcast, where we are bringing hope to people who are struggling or love someone who is. I love you. I love you. Thank you. Kim's losing it right now. I am. Thank you. Thank you for being my friend. You know, this this place and the clients here changed my life because they were the first people I was able to share with. That's another thing. This studio was a miracle. How I found it. Yeah. It's just like two rented rooms and a strip mall in Encinitas. It's not even that nice. And it's like a life-changing place. Yeah. You know? And... Man, I didn't think I was going to ever make it back to teaching or to life. Like, man, I didn't think I was ever going to make it back. And every teaching job that I lost, I would lament later. How did I lose it? How did I lose it? How did I lose it? One of the times I was teaching at this really nice place in La Jolla and I blew it. And I can see now I lost it because I needed this one. Because mm -hmm. I needed this one. And it kind of makes all the extra pain worth it. Right. And so any of you guys that are listening, I know you've made some mistakes and I know you've lost some stuff and you regret it. But what is waiting around the corner for you is the right thing. I couldn't have orchestrated this any better. Yeah. Well, what's cool too is I started taking Janine's classes, I think, before she was like maybe comfortable sharing her story. I wasn't, I don't think I was sharing about it yet. Um, I shared about it in euphemisms. Like I used to say, I used to be really, really sick and now I'm not, uh -huh. I would say stuff like that. And I, I don't think I fully knew what it meant. I don't think I knew until you posted maybe when my you got, two years was the first time that I posted. Yeah. Publicly. I was like, Oh, that's what it is. But I think I just thought, Oh, alcoholics. Sure. That's what I think I thought it was. But once you started talking about what you had gone through and how it has changed your life, your classes, even though they're already really good, um, they just like transformed. And I think that is what draws people to you and to your class. There's a vulnerability that not a lot of other people necessarily have. And that feels really empowering for people. Right, right. That's the other thing, I guess. I mean, there's a lot here, but also... I love the way Amy Dresner put it last week. Sharing is a way to reframe the shame. Mm -hmm. And again, so for you guys listening, man, I don't know if maybe I'm naive, but I haven't had any negative responses yet, really, mm -hmm. um, to what I'm sharing. Yeah. No, uh -uh. I yeah. haven't. And so if you're out there and you're afraid, I'm not saying you need to publicly talk about it the way that I do, but it's been more of a, the most surprising people, this girl that I went to high school with that I just like worshipped growing up uh -huh. in middle school and high school. I posted, she was like a cheerleader and like super cute. We were like kind of friends, mm -hmm. but I wanted to be her. I even like wrote like her in middle school. I made my handwriting look like hers. And <laughs> yeah, I think that's like a weird attic thing to do stuff like that though. Like I, I wanted to just like be this person. And I posted, you know, about the hat, helpful hats. Uh-huh. 
And she wrote, I love this. I love that you're doing this, whatever. And I said on Facebook, I was like, dude, I have admired you. No, she and I have spoken over the years. Uh I saw it like our reunion and stuff. And she's always been cool with me. But like those types of people, I was so afraid Mm -hmm. to see. And she's been really supportive. And I was like, I wanted to be you growing up. And so your support means a whole lot to me because you were so much cooler. Yeah. And she wrote back. She was very nice. She was like, oh, I felt the same way. And I'm like, no, you didn't. I was like, <laughs> this weird little like nerdy actor kid. So you probably didn't feel that way. But, you know, all those fearful things, all those, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't think maybe it carries as much weight as we're afraid of, you yeah. know. But thank you for doing this with me. Of course. So what's yeah what's your yeah. actionable tip? okay so this is goofy this is weird my actionable tip for the week mm-hmm. i heard this at a meeting and i swear it has worked and it's weird but it works obviously right. this is one different thing that i did so i i couldn't shake the desire to use right mm-hmm. like i would be in rehab and i just wanted to use really really bad like i remember one time i was on a trip with this girl we we're in the bus and I was looking around the bus and she was pretty like legit about wanting to be clean. She still is clean actually. Mm-hmm. And I was looking around the bus, like there has to be somebody on this bus, bus with some speed mm-hmm. because I was so depressed about being in programs yeah. that this is, this was typically how my relapse was would start. I was really down about being in rehab because rehab, you know, it's a supportive environment, but when you're an adult and you've been taken out of your life yeah. and you're not in at work, it's an, it's, it's a bummer, man. Yeah. You know, I was supposed to be doing other things. Which is a little ironic because you also weren't working. Though. Of course. You know what I mean? No, no. Yeah. Some people are. Yeah, I was yeah. not, you know, I know I wasn't working. But you're right. That idea of like, you yeah, said, I'm in my thirties. 34 and... and here I am on this bus, you know, this is not where I'm supposed to be. This sucks. And, yeah. and like, you know, and, and this rehab was fairly strict in terms of, it was run a little bit more like jail. Like you had a wake up time, you had a lights off time. Mm-hmm there was a cafeteria that you went down to like the chow hall, like three times a day. That's it. Um, it wasn't like, like choices. You live in a house. You can just like walk up to the kitchen. You can watch TV. This wasn't like that. There was like TV hours. Yeah. There was like a common room. Um, so it was just kind of strict and it was a bummer. And so what would happen is I would usually end up doing some speed to like lift my depression. And then that's what would lead to relapses. So it was hard for me to shake that kind of stuff like the thought of using again, like the actual picture of like, like, you know, watching myself like use a needle or smoke or something. And I heard at a meeting, this guy said, this is what he would do. So he was with his mom. His mom was elderly and ill mm-hmm. and he'd also been a long time needle user. And he went with her into this doctor's office and the nurse dropped the cap to the top of the needle, the orange cap. And he saw it drop on the ground. He only had like a few months mm-hmm. clean. And he lost it when he saw the orange. I don't like using the word triggered, but for lack of a better word, he was triggered. Mm -hmm. And so he put his hands together. You guys can't see me, but I'm like having my hands together. And he put the picture of himself using a needle in his hands. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't know what to use. I don't know what to do with this. Mm -hmm. Silently. I don't know what to do with this. If I do this, if it's up to me, I'm going to use and I don't want to. And he's in program. They always tell you to give it to God. Mm-hmm. But that's a very abstract idea. And he said, I'm going to give it to God like this. Mm-hmm. And he literally like lifted his hands up in the air mm-hmm. and threw it up in the air mm-hmm. and then just got focused on his mom again. And he was like, I know that sounds silly, but that's what I did. Yeah. And I thought, 
okay. So there was a night in sober living when I wanted to use and my friend was texting me. He was nearby. It was like three in the morning. All the girls were asleep and I lived on the couch. Mm-hmm. I could have left, grabbed something from his truck, went back up the side. This was my game. I could have done that. I could have done that for a while, but I didn't want to. So I put the phone down and I put my hands together mm-hmm. and I pictured myself like a little picture in my hands, running outside, grabbing the dope and doing it. And I went like this. I closed my eyes and I go, and I threw it up in the air, <laughs> opened my eyes, uh-huh. and then got really present in the room. Like, felt the fabric on the couch, turned on the TV. I used to watch Forensic Files in the middle of the night. Like, got really present in the moment. And I started doing that anytime I wanted to use. I would picture myself using, doing the thing, like if it was smoking meth or shooting a heroin or whatever, put it in my hands, doing a shot, and going and throw it up in the air, mm-hmm. literally say, I'm giving this to you because if I keep it, I'm going to use. Yeah. And then get really present on what you're doing in the moment. Mm-hmm. So let go of it and then get here. And I even did it. Skylar's family took us to a Puerto Vallarta and I had like three years, mm-hmm. a while, three and a half years. And we were driving through Mexico in this cab, it was just me and him. And there's like tequila signs everywhere. It's this beautiful, cute little town that is covered in bars. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I'm going to drink a margarita. Mm -hmm. Like I obviously have to drink a margarita. I'm in Mexico and I really love tequila. Like I should never have come here. I'm losing everything. Like this is crazy. What am I doing? And we pulled over because he wanted to get some cigars. Mm -hmm. And he got out of the car to buy some cigars. And I'm looking around. There's like tequila signs everywhere. Everybody's having fun. And I'm like, holy shit, what am I doing here? Yeah. And I closed my eyes. And I pictured myself doing a shot of tequila and I went, <laughs> I threw it up in the air, opened my eyes. He was getting it back in the car at that time, mm-hmm. you know, looked at him, reached over, took his hand. And this is the important part. The important part is to get present in the moment afterwards, mm-hmm. took his hand, got out of thinking about it, was like, oh, what cigars did you get? Show me them. Smell the cigars. Like I just got very present in the moment mm-hmm. and it passed. And I've gotten six years doing that goofy, weird little thing I just shared. Yeah. Other people are going to share like prophetic, profound things. That's mine for the week. Yeah. Well, I think it throw it up in the air. It man. prolongs like, you know what I mean? It's a distraction, Maybe. but it's also like stopping you from, like you said, you put your phone down and you did that. Even it's buying you that little bit of yes. time. I've yes. asked Janine before about like, are you supposed to call your sponsor? Like when you're about to use, like, what does that look like? And she said, Oh, people don't do that. Yeah. They call you after. And I said, because I feel like just that moment, just that five, 10, 15 minute phone conversation is going to like put you in a different place. Is it something your sponsor said? Maybe, but it's just that like getting you further away yes. from it's that space impulse. It yes. But then the grounding is what Janine's talking about is huge of right. getting present because you're not in that anxiety of like, oh, when I get it, I'm going to feel this way. And I don't want to be a loser that's not drinking in Mexico. Like, right. Exactly. All it just of gave me things. space from that. And actually you just said... Uh, grounding also also if you have the ability to get physically grounded into the earth there are if you want to get into the science of it there are negative ions in the earth that can make you feel calmer that's not always available so that's my tip for the week awesome thank you okay guys last little bit before we jump off here I was just doing the editing and I was listening to the story again and I said, well, I did all the things I've always done before. I went to meetings. I was walking to meetings. I was calling Rachel, all the things that I started doing. I got that commitment. And just now when I was listening to it, and I've never thought this in six years, I realized, wait a minute. Yeah, I knew where the meetings were to walk to and I knew when offered a commitment, I should take it. And I was already calling Rachel while I was detoxing. 
And I was making arrangements while I was out there to try to get into a sober living. And I just now realized I was doing all of those things with the information I had previously gained in my earlier attempts. So all of my attempts at recovery previous to this one weren't actually failed attempts. They were me gathering resources that I could finally execute on this time. The first time I got into recovery, I didn't even know what a sponsor was. And I definitely didn't know where the meetings were that you could walk to. I had to learn all that over time. And I've seen them as failures. And I realized now that, yeah, maybe they didn't add up to a continuous period of sobriety. But what they did do was offer me resources that I finally, like I said, executed on. And I had a phone full of connects and a phone full of people in recovery. And I got rid of the connects and I was left with a phone full of people in recovery from all of my attempts. So you listening, if you've tried this more than once, maybe reframe it not as, oh my God, I've tried so many times, I failed and relapsed, but I've amassed this bank of information that I can now use and I'm familiar with this process and I know what this process looks like now. The other thing is, Kim, after we recorded, said, man, I don't know if we should leave in when I read you the card. Is that too emotional? And I decided to leave it in, and here's why. Kim is a successful woman in the world, right? By all stereotypical estimations. She's married. She has a really nice house. She has a nice car. She went to college. She got a master's degree. She's a licensed therapist. She's actively in practice. She pays her taxes and has a really high credit score, which to me makes you a successful adult. And she just read, y'all heard it in that card. She said that I was amazing and that I had brought love and light to her life and that I was valuable to her. When I was detoxing on that couch, when I was homeless, if I'd seen her walking down the street or driving down the street in her nice car, I would have felt like such a loser compared to all the other people in the world that I saw as successful. You, wherever you are, maybe you're in Ohio and you're detoxing fentanyl or you just moved into a detox from Mississippi and you're hearing this somehow, wherever you are, wherever you are in your recovery, you might feel like a loser too. Someone is waiting for you right now. Someone is out there waiting for you to show up for them. You are uniquely talented and able to share with people your light and your gifts. And having had gone through the struggles that we've gone through as addicts, they say a compelling person is someone that is able to show both strength and warmth. You as an addict, you now have strength and warmth because of what you've walked through, you are strong. And because of what you've walked through, you are empathetic and compassionate. And you are uniquely talented in some way. And the world is waiting for you to step up and take your rightful place with your unique message. And you may feel like you don't know yet what your purpose is, but here's the amazing thing about being a human being. We have been gifted with an inner guidance to our purpose, which is joy. And once you get that garbage out of your body 
and you're not hustling to stay well, you will have the ability to feel joy. And the things that bring you joy are going to start to take you to your purpose. Once you find your purpose, the world is yours to step into and people are waiting for you to show up. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how much time you think you've lost. Kim didn't even know me yet and was waiting for me to show up and bring value to her life. You are valuable and you will bring light into this world. And I just want you to know that wherever you are, you're uniquely talented and gifted and the world is waiting for you to show up. I love all of you guys. Thank you for listening. Y'all know the drill. TikTok chasing heroin, Instagram chasing heroin, Janine Coulter, Studio Cybered, all the places. I'd love for you to share this podcast with friends or family and write it to review if you've got some time. Thank you guys so much for listening and keep trudging this road with me. I appreciate the support that we've gotten so far. It's more than I could have imagined. Thank you.